Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 302, the Wilmington, Delaware episode. Here with me again this week, Tim Maluli. Hello, everybody. And Brendan Maluli. Let's get rocking. What are we talking about? Let's do it. So uh, Ned Davis research came out with a report just in the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, there was an article we saw on CNBC, and the, the headline said how eight out of 10 advisors see markets diving lower. And then they said uh, in the article, it was 81% of the advisors, they said they surveyed 750 US-based uh, advisors. In line with that eight out of 10 who see the market diving lower, they said that may drive those advisors to move to cash on behalf of their clients. And I thought it was just interesting about how, you know, we talk here on a weekly basis about individual investors and people doing it on their own, making these decisions to go, you know, all in, all out, or, or, or sell into the panic of what's going on, trying to pick the bottom. And then this article said eight out of 10 advisors are doing the same thing. Yeah, I kind of had a different take on it in the sense that I think as advisors, we, we I think mentally have to prepare for for the worst situations that that might ensue and we may not necessarily act or position clients based on that so this survey i mean again i don't know like what who they surveyed or what they're actually doing with their money. But you know, we always try to think about what, what could be the worst. And so advisors may just be mentally preparing for the fact that you know they think we may have uh, another leg down to go before we ultimately resolve this. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're like pulling people's money out of the market or, or tinkering with their portfolios as a result. It, it may in some cases, but I also think that it's important to just put yourself in, in the headspace of, of these other people. And I, I don't think it's irresponsible to be planning or thinking about the future that way. Well, to steal a phrase, that's fascinating because I actually got a different, a completely different take from this. The thought that I had after reading that was how many advisors are playing with the client's safety money? That they have money at risk that really shouldn't be. And maybe what they're really looking at is okay, we got a little exposed or a little overexposed into equities, and now we've got to figure a way to get this back in balance, that it needs to be a 60-40 account, or it needs to be some other mix where there's money that's available in cash. Now, I don't know if that's because of a breakdown in communications between client and advisor, or just blind faith in the advisor, He's gonna t- he or she is gonna take care of this. I saw that as, you know, maybe they've got too much, too much of their client portfolios at risk and they're looking, to, looking for an opportunity to raise some cash before another leg down. I understand what you're saying, Brent. And I think that there's, it's a small sample size for what they were surveying and talking about. They, they only quoted a few advisors in the article. They were saying like, using the phrases like, until the dust settles, we're gonna you know, remain in less risky cash investments and then try and get back in. So it just, it said to me that there are advisors out there who will tell you that they can pick the bottom and mm. try and yeah. get in, get out, and they can see what's coming in, in the future. And we've talked about on previous podcasts how 
if someone tells you that they can do that, you should run away from them. Yeah, unfortunately, I think there will always be a market for that because people want to believe that somebody can nail it for them uh, time after time, and definitely not the case. I, I've uh, I've always just you know this doesn't even just apply to this survey though. Like my my previous point, like if I, I think it would be a lot more telling too if if people being interviewed on financial television I- instead of doing bullet points next to their face on the TV while they're talking, if if they just showed their portfolio. Right. Yeah, um, what transactions it, have you made in your own account? Yeah, people people will talk all the time about things that they do uh, in an interview or answer questions in a survey. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's like what they're doing with their money or with their investors' money. And yeah. I, I think it's important to remember that because you read these things and it makes it seem like people are acting in a certain way. And uh, I, I don't necessarily buy into that idea. Yeah. I also would view that information that 8 out of 10 advisors are expecting another move lower in markets as a contra indicator. It's probably an indicator that things may move the other way. And that kind of ties in nicely with Nick Majuli's post from a few days ago about the uh, dash to cash and the American Association of Individual Investors. This has always been a contrary indicator. They seem to raise cash at the worst possible times when they really should be putting cash to work. He also brought up a good point in the article though that that just naturally if investors haven't been uh, rebalancing or doing like if you're doing nothing which I think is better than panic selling yeah uh, if you haven't rebalanced then you just by the nature of how things work have less money in stocks than you used to because they went down and you got more money in cash or bonds because they've held up or even appreciated a little as you've collected interest. It's, yeah, I, but but generally I, I agree. It's it's usually a contrarian indicator, but uh, not in the sense that I would like, I wouldn't like back up back up the truck and like invest my money based on that as like my my uh, decision making tool, but it, but it usually is like a, a decent signal. That American Association of Individual Investors, they started surveying their members in 1987. Peak cash in uh, early fall of 1990, that was right at the depth of the recession, Uh, 2002, 2008, and now. I mean, the amount of cash readings that they posted, that Nick posted in his article, it's not even close to where the readings were in 2008. Just going back to like the consensus of when things when everyone seems to believe one thing, it's not a surefire indicator that the opposite is going to happen. But I mean, we talked about it on the video this week for the Maluli Asset Show uh, and brought up the more um, relatable analogy of when, you know, the Patriots were losing to the Falcons 28-3. to Consensus was at the end of the third quarter there, the Falcons were going to win the Super Bowl, and we all know that they didn't. So I think it's just important to remember that even when majority or consensus says one thing's going to happen it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen it doesn't mean that it's the opposite's definitely going to happen there's always just a range of outcomes that are out there no one can predict the future i wouldn't necessarily like you said i'm not i'm not telling anybody to just automatically take the opposite of consensus every time because that's that's just like a dumb thing to do and people do it just for the sake of it because then if it's it's like a if they're taking the other side and it's a low probability event and then it happens they get to trot around like the champion who called it uh, when they just do that every time and then all the other times where the low probability event doesn't occur 
they just don't say anything and we all forget about it and we move on. I think it's I think it's important to just stick to your plan. Right. And and you should have had a plan before this and you should stick to it and I don't think you should be acting either way based on sentiment surveys because again, we don't know how people taking these surveys are actually positioning their money. Right. One last thing I just want to throw in uh, before we move on to an article that we saw in the Wall Street Journal. Helene Meisler was on the um, TD Ameritrade Network this morning, and she raised a really good point because all of these technicians are now being asked about the retest of the bottom. Seems to be everybody talking about it lately. This, oh, the market's going to retest the lows. We don't know for sure. But one thing that she pointed out, and she's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, many times if a market does retest its lows, it is weeks and weeks and weeks and sometimes months after the initial low. It's not going to happen tomorrow. I think people take these beliefs or these things that happened in the past and they just extrapolate them into happening at by 315. Well, when you look on a chart, it looks like the retest occurs nearby the bottom, hmm. but it doesn't account for the pass of time in between, especially when we shrink these charts to show like 20, 30 years of market history. I would also add to that just, just because you think a retest is going to occur doesn't mean that you're going to have the fortitude to then buy in if it, if it occurs. If we're back at the lows or, or God forbid through them, like are people really going to want to invest? I mean, I just no, know it's, like it's the end of the world. Day, day I feel to like day, double lately. down on their decision from the first time it hit the lows. Yeah, in my opinion. Day day to day lately, we, I mean, we've seen incredible daily swings just over the last month or two now, and I know that my my mood has been impacted by what happens that day in the market. It's it's natural. Like if you're sure. watching this, how could it not be? If you're down 10% one day and then up 10% the next, like you you feel a little bit different based on what's going on in the tape that day. And I think that when we're if if we're retesting the lows to to not bake in the fact that you're going to be like fearful and upset at that point in time, uh, I think that's naive because I, I'm just not sure you're going to be ready to pull the trigger if that happens. So I think I think it was a few episodes ago when you were saying like what what we're taking away from this time right now, and you said just it's important to remember how you're feeling right now, and if you remember how you felt when we got to the low the first time. Just remember that when it comes to the low the second time, I feel like a lot of people, they're going to feel the same way and it might even enhance that feeling of feeling scared or feeling nervous because, oh, it's happening again. Yeah, uh, so, so I, th I just think a more sensible thing to do if if you're concerned about a, a potential retest of the lows or like the survey that came out, you think that we're going lower and for whatever reason you have money to invest and you have been paralyzed because you think, oh, maybe it's over, maybe I should put everything in, or, oh, I think we're gonna retest, so I'm gonna hang on to my cash. Uh, I, I think a much more sensible thing to do is just admit that you're not going to nail the bottom and say, you know what, these prices are probably gonna be pretty low in hindsight, uh, three, five, 10 years down the road. I'm gonna be happy I bought at all, not necessarily that I bought on this specific day. So to just say, hey, over the next one to two months, every week I'm gonna buy X dollar amount until the money that I have to invest is invested. And I think that you'll be happy you did in hindsight and you, and you won't care uh, that you didn't nail the bottom or that you didn't wait for the retest. I think that's good advice. And for the real freighty cats out there, you could, instead of doing it over weeks, you could you could spread that out over months and still be okay. Yeah, you could do whatever you want. I you mean, could I have just, bought yeah. throughout 2009, through the whole year. Even in 2010, you would have been happy. Mm -hmm. A year later, 
yeah, with, with these purchases? I think, uh, I think ultimately, if you're going to do it, just set percentage of whatever money you have to invest forward or, or a dollar amount and just like stick to the script. And whatever that is, like you said, if it if it takes you a whole year to get invested, that's fine. But like, get something in motion and then like stick with it. Don't don't rip it up based on like what the market did yesterday. That's the hardest part. I can tell you, early on in my career, I was setting people up to do dollar cost averaging, and uh, everything would be working out great month after month after month. Money would go into these mutual funds, and then the market would start to go down, and people would call and they would actually stop. I'm like, this is exactly when you should be doing it. Yeah, but right. I'm losing money. Right. I can't handle this. And I'm throwing more money after something that's already down. They just couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't understand the picture. So I, I guess I didn't do a good job, you know, showing them how that was going to benefit them to be continuing to buy throughout all of the downs and ups. It's unfortunate. Very good article in the Wall Street Journal by Dr. Bernardsi, who uh, is at UCLA, talking about behavioral investing. Uh, Headline, here's why some investors panic, and here's how to make sure you don't. And he actually led off with an old bet that was introduced by uh, Paul Samuelson, who won a Nobel Prize years ago. And it goes like this, I'm going to flip a coin. If it lands on heads, you'll win $200. However, if it lands on tails, you lose a hundred. Want to bet? Most people don't because right. they, the, the point is that losses feel worse than, than gain feels good. And so people need more incentive than uh, double to feel comfortable. If you said that same bet, but I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get $1,000 if it lands on heads and then I lose a hundred if it lands on tails, I might be more enticed to do it. Everybody has a slightly different threshold in terms of uh, what they're willing to, to risk to gain certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the points that he made in the article that I liked about how humans are wired to hate a portfolio full of red ink, a, a little side point that I, I think platforms and people would benefit if they would just stop reporting positive or negative gains and losses in red and green. Didn't like Dan Egan or Betterment yeah. look into doing that and they've changed how they report uh, just because I agree with what he's saying. Like You see red and your emotions change. Like you, yeah, you assume you, danger, like I have to do something, like right. this is bad, I better act. But they're showing you a daily move on a portfolio that was constructed, even if you're 70 years old. You, I mean, the way that we build our financial plans here, if you're 70 and you have an investment portfolio, like you still have a 20 plus year time horizon. Obviously, uh, nobody nobody knows exactly how long any given person is going to live for, but, but we plan for multi-decade, even at that point in life for people. And so if you constructed something, that's set on a 10, 20, 30 year horizon, depending on how old you are, why in the world would you be afraid of of what's happening on a daily basis? I think they see the instant reaction and they say, I feel like I have to do something. Right, I I understand that, but we the the way that these like platforms are created and the way the news is reported doesn't help anybody because sure. it's given them the wrong information. You know, the article talked about different ways that that you could combat this and and one of them is is literally just not looking at this thing daily. Yeah, right. You don't need to check your portfolio daily. I right. I know that a lot of people do. I know some people check in once or twice a year. Uh, obviously you have to find what what is right for you, but if it's causing you anxiety, the first thing I would do is maybe try to move from daily to weekly or something like that because I have I have some numbers. Uh, if you're just looking at what the market does, measured by the S and P 500, if you're looking daily, your odds of seeing losses are about 50%. It's a coin toss on a day-to-day basis if the market is going to be up or down. But if you're looking on a quarterly basis, 
uh, it's it's about 70-30, meaning on most quarters, about 70% of the time they're up, 30% are down. So if you're checking in once every three months, the odds of you seeing something higher than what you saw before uh, have improved dramatically from the day from the daily check-in, and then yearly uh, you're up to like 75% of the time. Uh, mark markets are up 75% of the time on a yearly basis. Five-year we're up to 86% of the time. Not that anybody is going to not check it for five years, but and then on a decade basis you're up to 95% of the time. 20 20 years you're up to 100% of the time. Markets up. So if you can just cut out the daily check-in. Uh, you can shape the nature of your own reality in the sense that if you check every day, you're going to see red half the time at least. If you could just move to quarterly, you'd see a lot less red. So if the red makes you sad, then that's a way to stop seeing as much of it. It doesn't involve you tinkering with anything in your portfolio. I mean, he said in the article how we are wired to be nearsighted in terms of the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes sense that you know when if you log in every day, you're going to be like hyper focused on what's happening that day versus the next day. He said it's tough because we a lot of people tend to only focus on like the short term news when they're they're making decisions. They can't see, you know, the the benefits or the consequences of what they're doing five, ten years down the road. They're gonna act on what's happening right now in front of them on the screen and what they read in the news over the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what makes it really tough. Yeah, whether it's whether it's a website or, or the article mentioned like apps too, like the fact that you can pull up your phone and check on your portfolio and then potentially do trades if, if you want to. In an instant. Right. Holy yeah. crap, why would you ever need to do that? I don't know. Great great question, but, but a lot of people do. But it's available to us, so I don't know. I mean, technology is great. I'm just not sure that that's adding anything to the long term investors uh, you know, benefit. It just adds the opportunity for you to make a mistake. Right. And, and so, again, like another way that, that this stuff is reported to us, whether it's an app or a website or even account statements that go out, uh, another idea that was floated in the article that I think is a good one is, is to think of market moves uh, and the ramifications on your future like stream of income that you're going to take from the portfolio as opposed to like the daily uh, account balance. Because the daily account balance, unless, unless you have a date in the future where you plan to take the entirety of the investment account in a lump sum and spend it on something, then that's the wrong way to think about it because you're you're going to, while you're working, make periodic contributions to a portfolio. And then for most people, when, when they retire and they want to live off their money, they're going to take periodic distributions from their portfolio. So that means pieces of this money in the account have longer and shorter time horizons than others. There could be you know, X amount of dollars that you are going to spend per, uh, in the next year. And then there's what you'll spend in year two and three and four. So if you think about your portfolio and tranches like that, you have, you know, a good portion of your money that has multi multi decade, if not just multi year time horizon. And so to treat that all as the same pile of money, uh, it's I think it's it's missing like an integral part of of the conversation there. In terms of like focusing on the short term, it reminded me of an article that I linked to in my daily links this week from Ashby Daniels, Mm -hmm. who wrote about the four stages of a bear market. And there were a couple decision points along those four stages. And one of them, the first one was, all right, you can either accept what's happening in the bear market or you can panic uh, and and sell out. But I think the more important thing that ties into this article was the second decision point where it was um, acceptance again versus permanent damage. So just because you made a short-term mistake and you might have sold out while the market was going down, as a bear market progresses, we are eventually going to hit a bottom. 
And you're going to come to that decision point where, okay, I need to accept that the market is moving back up and things might begin to look better uh, and we might move towards a bull market or you can choose permanent damage and never get back in. I think that that just just not compounding your short-term mistakes into long-term permanent damage. It's like the saying, it's okay to be wrong, but it's not okay to stay wrong. When those things change, you can make a short-term mistake. That happens, but don't let it completely ruin the rest of your financial future. I I think an important point to add on top of that, which is good advice, is that if you if you freaked out of your portfolio on the way down, do not put the same portfolio back into place because right. it is obviously not a fit for you. You need to go back into something more conservative that takes into account the fact that you freaked out. Right. You can't just pretend, you can't just say I made a mistake and what I was doing was right and I'm gonna go back because I think that's ignoring the fact that you couldn't stick with it last time. So why in the world would you be able to stick with it again the next time and and to say that you will now in hindsight when you know the future and you know how it unfolds is you, you know you're that. lying to you're yourself setting at that yeah point. you're setting <laughs> yourself up for failure don't do that and it's fine if you like you said instead of taking on permanent damage you're accepting the fact that a uh, mistake was made and that you're you're going to move forward from this but just like learn learn the lesson from what happened right uh, don't don't just ignore it completely and dive right back in that's i Cannot stress that enough. That's a mistake. Okay, that's going to wrap up the uh, Wilmington, Delaware episode, number 302. Uh, next, uh, Our next podcast will be from Denver, Colorado, 303. Nice. And uh, after that, we'll be, going to, we'll be going to uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, 304, followed by a quick trip to Miami in 305. Wow. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>